Today's Happy Healthy You podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash happy healthy you. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle or MP3 player. about you guys, but I have been obsessed with the book and movie The Wizard of Oz since I first saw it so many years ago, and apparently Sigmund Freud thought it was an important piece of art as well. But there's something about Dorothy's journey down that yellow brick road that is still relevant today, and I think it's the idea of reclaiming those lost parts of ourselves, like the courage, the heart, the confidence, and standing up to negativity in our lives, aka wicked witches, and then finally confronting that Wizard of Oz, our egos, and in the end realizing that what we were searching for was right there all along, and that in fact there is no place like home. Ha, the soul. This is such cool stuff, right? Think about it. Think about Dorothy Gale. She's like a wounded child. She has no parents, just Annie M and Uncle Henry. And we can all relate to her in some way, can't we? And her journey is the journey to wholeness in mind, body, and spirit. It's not a straight path always, that yellow brick road. It's windy and sometimes treacherous and oftentimes confusing and downright crazy. But then that's being human. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman. And Happy Healthy You is a podcast where we explore a lot of that yellow brick road journey. And today we're talking to Darlene Lancer. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she's an expert on relationships and codependency. She's the author of two books, Conquering Shame and Codependency, Eight Steps to Freeing the True You, and Codependency for Dummies. Her ebooks are 10 Steps to Self Esteem, How to Speak Your Mind, Become Assertive, and Set Limits. Oh my gosh, we could all use that. And Codependency Recovery Daily Reflections. She has counseled individuals and couples for 27 years and coaches internationally. She's a sought after speaker at national conferences, on radio, and to professional groups and institutions. Thanks, Darlene, for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Connie, and I really enjoyed your intro. I've never <laughs> the Wizard of Oz described quite that way, and you reminded me of my work. Ah, good. So are you a fan of the Wizard of Oz? Of course. Uh, <laughs> going back, you know, decades, and um, I'm, my e-book, 10 Steps to Self-Esteem, and my new book on shame addresses the, the w- Wicked Witch Oh, yeah. Well, aside from the fact that it's a musical and I'm a total musical theater geek, what I love about the film and the book is that in the end, Dorothy is empowered to find herself and she finds what is really important on her own journey and that healthy boundaries are a key part of that. So today we're going to pick your brain about codependency. How did you come to be an expert on codependency? Well, um, for many years, several decades, I was in Alabama. And uh, had a lot of therapy. I was working on my own codependency in my relationships. It was coming out, and in the beginning, I thought it was a function of the bad relationships I was in. But then, on deeper work, I discovered that it started in childhood. And so, I did a lot of learning on my own and my clinical training and seeing therapists, uh, seeing clients. So 
it's been a long journey for myself and it's ongoing. Codependency isn't something that we completely eradicate, but we learn to cope better and we learn better skills and we can raise our self-esteem. We don't have to be dragged down and react to shame all the time because shame runs through all of those traits. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, years ago, somebody made a comment to me. I'd never heard of the term codependency. And somebody said, well, that's a real codependent comment or something. And I'm like, what does that mean? So I ran home and I'm, we didn't have Google at the time. So I found, uh, I think it's, is it Melanie Beatty, Codependent No More? Is she's, yeah. yeah. So I found the book and I'm like researching it and I'm like, wow, codependency. What a concept. <laughs> what is codependency? And, who is codependent? Like, tell us, tell us what it's all about. Well, there is no one definition of codependency. My definition is that it's someone who can't access their innate self and their innate feelings and needs and wants, and instead that they, their behavior and their thinking revolves around another person, a process, or a substance. So in my definition, addicts of all kinds are codependent too. It underlies, underlies their addiction. Yeah, and addiction, you know, we're going to talk about this a little later, but addiction is a huge problem right now. I think it's like the stats are up above... 22 million people are addicted to something in this country, and so codependency is something we should all be aware of. Absolutely. I yeah. think if you're codependent, you're in the majority. You're, I'm sorry, say that again? <clears throat> if you're codependent, you're in the majority. You're in the majority, yes. What, yep. uh, so what are the family dynamics that can lead to codependency? I mean, how does it, how does it start? I just want to point out, so what you said about 22 million addicts, the AMA has, um, there's about 72% of Americans have a family member who's an addict. So often if you have a family member who's an addict, it's going to affect, that addiction is going to affect the family. We say that for every alcoholic, five people are affected by it. Wow, that's amazing, yeah. Alone is 72% of Americans. And then um, another 20% of Americans have serious mental illness. So if you have a family member, particularly a parent, who has mental illness, there's a strong likelihood that you can go to Gosh, so, we, so it, may, it may not even be a practical thing to take a look at the family dynamics that cause it. We should just accept that it's there, and maybe you can tell us what we need to do about it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you some of the family dynamics so that people can identify it. Okay. Uh, there's dysfunctional communication, so people are not assertive. And I think assertiveness is so important to relationships and self-esteem, which is why I wrote that ebook on uh, how to be assertive. So people in uh, dysfunctional families are usually either passive or aggressive, or they're both aggressive. You know, there's often uh, children don't learn how to appropriately handle anger. So they hide it, or they're aggressive, they stuff it, it may not be allowed, they may have a parent who's 
angsty and critical or controlling. So they start to squelch their own feelings, their own identity to be safe. And another symptom is that it's a closed system, which means that new ideas, new information doesn't flow freely. But sometimes you have a rigid rules or the rules might be inconsistent or you have a parent that is arbitrary. You never know when you're going to be punished or it seems like it's unfair. It's for something insignificant. Or sometimes there's neglect and you don't know what the rules are. They're always changing. Yeah. So there's a lot of different characteristics. Uh, problems don't get solved. Children don't learn how to figure things out, how to solve problems. Their the main thing is that their feelings and needs aren't honored. They aren't empathized with or mirrored. So a parent would say, maybe with the best interest of their child, would say, well, don't feel sad. Mm -hmm. Or you, if a child loses at a game, at school, or gets bad grades, and they feel like they're a failure, and the parent either punishes them or says, don't feel that way. Any message that you shouldn't feel how you feel is shaming to a child. So then they disown their own feelings, and then as adults, they either don't feel them, they can't name their feelings, then they can't express them, or they deny them and become self-sufficient because they've learned that they couldn't go to their parents with their needs and their feelings, and they were ignored. So those are just some of the symptoms. Um, parents often can be critical. Well-meaning parents can be overprotective. The other thing is that in these families, there's dysfunctional boundaries. So often parents are overly involved or overly controlling. Any kind of abuse is violating a child's boundaries. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of different elements that go into it. I lay it out in my book, Codependency for Dummies. Yes, you do. You you lay them out very easily so that, well, thus the title of the book. But but it's really easy to understand. I I really appreciate your book. You know, it's really daunting to become a parent. <laughs> it seems like we should we should be uh, we should have some parenting classes before we ever get pregnant and and um, and be be aware of the possibility of the damage that can be done to children in this way because I, it's such a cyclical generational disease, isn't it? Absolutely. And in researching and writing my recent book on shame. I only regretted that I didn't write the book before I had children because I learned a lot. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, my kids are grown up and I'm going, okay, I did that. I did that. I probably did that too. So so um, now that we're aware, I mean, we can only start from where we are. Um, since we can't change others, we need to change ourselves and not be codependent not being codependent is a pretty good place to start. How do we recognize a codependent relationship and what do we do to start changing to more healthy patterns? Well, if you 
are attracted to someone who's unavailable. A lot of codependents have problems getting into a relationship. Or Zunas, like the immediate infatuation wears off, they lose interest. Intimacy issues are a red flag for codependency. If you have trouble saying no, if when you get into a relationship and you give up your interests and your your silence your needs and you go along only with what your partner wants to do, that's a typical sign of codependency. Or on the flip side, if you have any kind of addiction like workaholism, doesn't have to be alcohol or drugs, shopping addiction, uh, anything that really is a way to escape feel and being able to be close with someone else, that might be a clue that you have for that. Hmm. So those are some of the examples. If you're a pleaser, if someone has a problem and you don't give advice or try to help them or solve it without feeling guilty, that would be a red flag that might have codependency. Yeah, one thing I love about your book, Codependency for Dummies, is it has all the icons. So it has like the tips and the tech supports, warning, and it has um, it has little little uh, icons that help you remember some of these points because there's a lot to learn about this subject. Maybe you could talk about how becoming aware of your codependency patterns and starting to change to a more healthier way of relating with others changes the dynamic of the relationship. Like show us the upside of changing ourselves so that say, say we're the codependent and there's an addict in our life. Um, how does changing ourselves so that we're setting boundaries and we're no longer in denial and all those good things change the dynamic of the relationship? Well, for one thing, let me just say that whether it's in a relationship with a partner or a relationship with a child mm -hmm. or a parent or anyone, the first steps to healing are building your self-esteem, learning to be assertive, and then detaching so you're not overreacting. That's what clients and my clients, but that's what codependents do and in relationships, they're constantly overreacting, and then fight and everything just escalates. So when you stop doing that, you'll notice that you don't have these as many fights. You're able to be more direct, and you don't have to react to everything that someone says. So that would be a sign that you're making progress. That you're able to enjoy yourself on your own without your partner. So that gives your partner more freedom. So a lot of times in a codependent relationship, one partner feels smothered and the other one feels abandoned. And one partner is distrusting, uh, typically like a, a woman might be distrusting her, her husband or her boyfriend. And so he's then feeling defensive. He's feeling withdrawing the more that she's asking him questions or calling him all the time. Or accusing him of it. So she starts taking her eyes off of him. Then he can get feel like he can come closer to her. She can spend time with her friend and not be resentful because she has all these hidden expectations. That's another thing codependents do. They 
and expect their partners to read their mind. So they don't have to ask for their needs and wants because it feels too humiliating because they've been shamed as a child. But they can be more direct. All these all these symptoms play into each other, so it's hard to talk about one without right. another. They're all interwoven. Right. And when you talk about self esteem, I know for for myself, I mean I'm a I'm a bit of a people pleaser. I love to do nice things for people. So where do you find the balance of doing and and yet not doing things for people that they could do for themselves, especially with children. Well, it's hard, you know, with children, and children are dependent. Mm -hmm. Children are naturally codependent, so that's not unhealthy. But it is unhealthy when we don't allow them to experience consequences of their behavior. I'll tell you a story about my own son, who is about. I don't remember exactly, maybe eight or nine years old, and he was always late getting ready for the school bus to pick him up for school. And I would nag him to, you know, brush his teeth and get his things together and get ready, and he was inevitably late. And this was a routine every morning where I'd be nagging and he'd be late, and he might miss the bus, and then, or he'd forget his lunch. And I would take his lunch to school and drive him to school. And finally, one day, after I had been a 12-step program for a while, and I learned a little bit about consequences and enabling, and I said, very calmly, I said, next time that you miss the bus, I'm not taking you to school. You're going to have to stay home. And one morning, I see him running around. He missed the bus, and he's looking in the garage to see, oh, his father also went to work. So his father wasn't going to take him either. And he sent his little brother to me as his advocate to advocate on his behalf and pleaded with me to allow me, to allow him to go to school. I said, no, very calmly. I wasn't raising my voice or anything. I just said, no, I told you that next that when you were late, you were going to have to stay home. So he was really upset about that. I guess that was a good thing, because if he didn't care, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, yeah. Thank goodness, right? <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so I let him, for about a half hour, he suffered with that. And then I actually did relent, and I took him to school. But because I was calm, and I wasn't nagging or scolding or anything, he really believed me. You know, he was never late for school again. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome That's when it works. Yeah. And the consequence was relevant to his behavior. It was a direct result of his behavior, which is important. And they say when addicts and alcoholics, a lot of codependents are in relationships with practicing addicts or alcoholics. And they spend a lot of energy covering up, making excuses. They might call in to their boss and say, my husband or my wife is sick or can't make it to the party because they have a cold or bailing them out of jail. There are a lot of things that uh, spouses do and parents of addicts do. So that's called enabling. It's an enabling. It's a kind of caretaking mm -hmm. that enables the disease or the bad behavior. But what researchers and clinicians have found is that 
the most profound um, incentive addicts get sober or clean is for them to experience the negative consequences of their own behavior. That's called hitting bottom. Yeah, and those are those are the boundaries that we need to set with these people. And I, um, you talk about different areas of support, like the twelve step system, um, coming to therapy, Al Anon, Codependence Anonymous. Is there anything else you can recommend to someone who's who's maybe new to the codependent uh, idea? That a good place to start, aside from reading your books, of course books and doing the exercises. Uh, they can take a class on assertiveness. Mm -hmm. I did that, and that helped me quite a bit. Um, there's another meeting you didn't mention, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, too. Okay. But, you know, I really don't know other than counseling. Yeah. If they have a specific issue, they might want to get seek out a, a group on that specific problem. Generally, it's 12-step meetings, counseling, or therapy, coaching. Okay. In your book, you say that the people who are the happiest and the healthiest have an internal locus of control, meaning that they feel that they control the outcome of their lives and they take responsibility for themselves. Can you talk a little bit about that, how we gain that internal locus of control and that, that is our goal? Right. So it starts with feeling like your feelings and needs and wants matter and knowing what they are. So the problem is that a lot of tenants find when they start taking their eyes off of someone else, being obsessed with their relationship or someone else's illness or helping someone, that they don't really know what they want. They don't know what to do with themselves. So it's a process of freeing up that that inner child, that child self. So sometimes I tell people, what did you have the most fun with when you were growing up? What were your hobbies? What were your interests? What really excites you? And to unleash all of that energy that's been suppressed because of shame, because they had to hide who they were growing up, and to have them start to identify their feelings, to feel their feelings, a lot of but the tenants are shut down. They don't know what they feel. Yeah, You say in the book that the codependent's joke is that at the moment of death, someone else's life flashes before their eyes. That's sad, but true, right? Yeah. And to identify their needs. A basic equation is you meet your needs, you feel good. You don't meet your needs, you feel bad. Right. And codependents typically are meeting other people's needs and expect other people to meet their needs. So I say it's like a haywire system. It's everything's backwards. Mm -hmm. Rather than us, you know, taking the time to figure out what we need and meet those needs. I'll speak for myself in that for many years, I didn't know that I was lonely. I couldn't really experience that. And then when I was lonely, I didn't know, it didn't occur to me to reach out to people. Yeah, what a concept, right? Reaching out to people. Yeah, it's like, I think maybe I spent a lot of time growing up being alone. or with, I was never bored, though. I was always doing things. Yeah. So, so getting in touch with your feelings, like you might feel sad, well, being able to name that and learn to 
either reach out for comfort or learn to comfort ourselves. So if you didn't have a parent that was nurturing and comforting, which is true for the majority of codependents, you don't know how to nurture yourself. A lot of people say, oh, I shouldn't feel this way. I should be over this. Why am I depressed? And they criticize themselves rather than honoring their feelings and learning how to meet those needs. So that coming back to that internal locus of control is like, what do I feel? What do I need? What do I want? And then the next step is responding to that. It might mean I need to speak up. I might need to set a boundary. I might need to express my hurt to somebody. So that, that's the assertiveness comes in. How do I communicate? Yeah. My needs, my feelings, my wants to someone else. You say that compassion for others, which we all really want to have, because it's, it's really one of the keys to happiness, starts with ourselves. So we have to have compassion for ourselves. And thank you so much. There's so much more to this in your books. And for more information about working with you or to find your articles, um, how, how can someone find more information? Oh, well, thank you. Well, there's a free PDF called 14 Tips to Letting Go. It's available on my website, whatiscodependency.com. It's all written as one word, whatiscodependency.com. I have another website, just my name, Darlene Lancer, which is D-A-R-L-E-N-E-L-A-N-C-E-R. But most of the information on codependency is on the first website. I'm also on Facebook, and you can befriend me through my name, or I have a page specifically on codependency, and it's facebook.com forward slash codependency recovery. I'm also on Twitter with my name, Darlene Lancer. So those are a few uh, places where you can find me. Well, you're easy to find. Nowadays, it's easy to find everybody. We're, we're everywhere. We have to be, right? Thank and you. My, Go ahead. Yeah, my books are all on Amazon. My okay. e-books. Of course. Uh, you'd have to search for under Kindle books, but you don't need a Kindle. You could just download them to your computer. Also, there are uh, my ebooks on Smashwords stuff. I put Codependency for Dummies on Kindle, and I just love that. I love that we're able to do that now because it makes it so easy, so easy. Thank you so much, Darlene Lancer. I I feel like this is just the tip of the iceberg, but you know now you've got us walking down that yellow brick road. <laughs> And um, hopefully we will continue to walk to our uh, our happy, healthy destiny. <laughs> Thank you, girl. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye.